If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24. This week, began to investigate kind of a strange subject. Began to investigate the subject of warning labels. You know what warning labels are, right? On packages of food and drugs. You know, basically anything that we have today has to have a warning label because if someone does something with the product and they say, you didn't tell me not to do that with the product, then we in our society like to sue people. And so warning labels have become a little ridiculous. For instance, in a, the medicine uh, called Ambien. How many of you know what Ambien is? Ambien, right? It's a sleep medication, right? You take it, you go to sleep. If you look on Ambien, it says, warning may cause drowsiness. Well, that's kind of the point of the medicine. There are other ones. In fact, there's a, a website that, that has a contest each year with the wackiest warning labels. And, and for this year, here are some of the winners for 2009. There, there was a wart removal box that on the box says, do not use if you cannot see clearly enough to read the information in this box. Cereal bowl. On the bottom of the cereal bowl said, always use with adult supervision. There was an LCD panel. You know what an LCD panel is, right? A little TV. One inch by four inch. And it said on there, do not eat LCD panel. There was a boat that on the warning label on the side of the boat said, do not use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level. And the two more. One is, this year's winner, is that someone has built a toilet with a trailer hitch. And the warning label on the side of the toilet is, do not use while in motion. All right? Now, the all-time winner is a warning label. I don't know if you're going to be able to see very good, but I've got it up here. This is on the side of a large piece of machinery. Okay? It's used, you know, you can see up top in the picture, the guy has uh, unfortunately gotten his head trapped underneath the part of that machinery. But if you'll notice the warning right underneath above the top, you see that? It's in all caps. It says, avoid death. That's always a good warning label if you can avoid death. You ever thought about the fact that sometimes life might need a warning label? I mean, we are going to get into some problems, right, as we grow up and go through life. I was thinking about this week, what would happen if my... uh, you know, Susan and I go in in early January at the appointed time, and our little girl is born, and as they're wiping off and weighing and doing all that, the doctor said, by the way, I need to put a warning label on this baby. Max Lucado has said that it might sound something like this. Welcome to the post-umbilical cord world. Be advised, however, that human life has been known in most cases to result in death. Some individuals have reported experiences with lethal viruses, chemical agents, and or bloodthirsty terrorists. Birth can result in fatal encounters with tsunamis, inebriated pilots, road rage, famine, nuclear disaster, and or people determined to get a $200 computer at Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving. Side effects of living include super viruses, heart disease, and final exams. Human life is not recommended for anyone who cannot share a planet with an evil despot or survive a flight on airplane food. The truth is that while we can laugh about some things about warning labels, we live in a pretty messed up world, don't we? I mean, if you just watch the news, it's earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes and hail and lightning. It's financial collapse and business failures. It's foreclosures and shootings downtown and floods all over the place and debates about what's right or wrong with everybody proclaiming that if you're on the wrong side of the debate, then you're somehow morally inept. Matthew chapter 24. 
is an interesting passage because I think it could serve as the first official warning label. This is Jesus' warning label to us as believers. And look at Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to focus mainly on verses 4 and following, but verse 1 and, and down gives you a little bit of the background of it, and it's just simply this. This was the week that Jesus would end up being crucified, that he would be risen from the grave. It was the week that changes all of history. It was the most monumental week in the history of the world, in the history of existence. And so it's a pretty important week. And what you have in chapter 24 and 25 is Jesus talking to his disciples. Now, the reason that he talks to them in 24 and 25 is because they're walking down the street after an event that happened at the temple, and the disciples are pretty excited about what's happening, and they think this is the day that Jesus is getting ready to establish his kingdom. This is the time when Jesus is getting ready to do something miraculous and pull us together. This is the occasion when Jesus is going to take control of this world. And as Jesus is walking down the street, he looks up at the buildings. Now, their buildings wouldn't look like our buildings, but imagine for a minute Jesus and his disciples walking through a place like downtown Nashville, and he points up at the buildings that look magnificent and spectacular, and he says to them this. Do you see all these things? Do you see all this stuff? I'll tell you the truth. Not one stone will be here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, now, the disciples weren't exactly thinking that was where they were going. And so what happens is one of the disciples comes to Jesus as they get to the Mount of Olives, and he says, hey, Jesus, that, that thing you were talking about earlier, did you, uh, what do you mean? I mean, like, when? How? I, you don't have to tell everybody. Just, you know, just share it with us. Well, I mean, I think that we kind of need to know that kind of stuff. You, you know, as a pastor, that happens sometimes. You, God gives you a vision, you begin to work it out, and the people in the church will come and say, you know, you know, Pastor, I really think we need to know what's going on here. And I, I'm not saying you don't, but the disciples were doing that. What's the plan? You got this all worked out, I assume, Jesus. What is it? It says there that they came to him privately. When will this happen? What will be the sign? In verse 4, Jesus says, the first thing he tells them is, here's the encouraging news. It's going to get a lot worse. Verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. First thing I want us to see this morning is that we live in a world where disasters, catastrophes are going to happen. And the truth is, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. Pastor, love that. That's what Jesus says. He basically says, it's bad now. I mean, you know, things are going to fall, but it's going to get worse. And I know it's not good English, but if it were, he would say, it, it'll get worser and worser, right? My kids use that word, even though it's not a real word, but that's the point. It's going to get worse. And he tells us specifically in three different areas, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And the first is, there's going to be heresy. The second is, there's going to be calamity. And the last one is, it's going to be apostasy. Now, I know it's in a lot of why words, but here's what it means. What's heresy? Somebody tell me what heresy is. That's good. Somebody else. What is it? False teaching, right? 
Heresy is just false teaching. We don't use that word in the church much anymore because we don't want to uh, offend anybody. But the truth is, heresy is alive and well today as much as it's been alive and well since Jesus was here. Now, heresy is crowded in different ways. It's in different forms, but it's still here. There are obviously people out there that are heretical to our faith, and they know it, and they don't care. I mean, there's a new rise of atheists. I read this week about a camp dedicated to atheists. I think I've mentioned that in here before, but this camp, the only requirement for you going to this camp is that you can't believe in the Judeo-Christian values. That's the only requirement. This is for kids. And so they bring them there, and they tell them all these things, and they get them to try to live their lives opposed to the Lord. Well, that is heresy, but the more dangerous kind of heresy is just misinformation that gets put out little by little. I was reading this week a story of a guy named Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton is. He wrote a book called Jurassic Park. Anybody ever seen Jurassic Park? You know, mirror on the side, dinosaur getting close, that whole thing. Michael Crichton also wrote a book in 1998 called State of Fear. In researching State of Fear, he was writing this book about global biological echo disasters. And so he decided he was going to research all this stuff, and the first thing he wanted to research was a thing called Chernobyl. Now, how many of you remember Chernobyl? I don't expect many hands in this area to go up, but I remember Chernobyl, right? It happened in the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union, and the meltdown that happened, it was catastrophic. I mean, early estimates were 2,000 people died on that day. By the year 2000, they were proclaiming 15,000 to 30,000 were killed that day at Chernobyl. There's only one problem. 56 people were killed. Now, those 56 people were precious lives, but 56 is a little different than 20,000. Amen? It is. I don't know if you didn't, some of you didn't say amen. That's, you're not math challenged, right? But it is. It's a big difference. Well, you say, yeah, but that was the short term. We're talking radiation, long-term exposure. The estimates in the early 90s were that 3.5 million people would suffer illness because of Chernobyl. In a report that came in the 2000s, the actual number was 4 now, here's what's interesting. The UN report said in, not, in like 2003 or four that the most fatalities and illnesses that occurred because of Chernobyl were people who had psychological problems because of the misinformation about Chernobyl. And we're talking about physical stuff here, but the truth is there are people being led astray every day by misinformation about the gospel. Another illustration for you, Trail Magazine. Anybody out there read Trail Magazine? I don't. I'm not a hiking guy. But Trail Magazine, they give you trails for the, the biggest hikes in the world. And there was one particular, um, in Europe, there's one particular drop that's very difficult, and you have to go step by step or you don't make it. And so Trail Magazine published a step-by-step guide how to get down from this mountain. It, it was a 4,409-foot summit. And you had to get down step by step. The problem is, when somebody tried to do that who was an experienced climber, he realized they put the wrong instructions in the magazine. And if you followed their instructions exactly, you would fall off a thousand-foot cliff. Now, I know none of you tried it because you're here, and that's good. But you see how misinformation can lead to problems. Here's the truth. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, that there will be these kind of people that come and say, I am the Christ. We don't see that much today. We don't have many people saying they're Jesus reincarnate. It has happened, but not much. But this part about deceiving many and false prophets appear and deceive many will happen. 
In America today, we have kind of a therapeutic stew of religions that just make people feel better but aren't the truth. If you listen to popular culture, their religion is a hodgepodge, a mixture of about 20 different things. I was watching golf yesterday, and uh, after I watched Tennessee look the best they've looked in years, Tennessee fans, that was fun yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, you can clap. That's all right. I know we're in church, but it's all right. They hadn't looked that good in a long time. All right, so I watched Tennessee play, listened to them some, watched them play, got home, and they had golf on like 8 o'clock last night. And my my, uh, family is in West Tennessee staying with Susan's dad for a couple of days, and so I was there, you know, golf at 7 o'clock. That's great. I turned on and watched it. And I love watching Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson because I can never do any of what they do. I mean, I can barely hit the ball semi-straight once out of about 20 shots. They are just amazing. And they were talking to Tiger afterwards, and I was thinking about my message today. It was just going in my mind. And I thought back to an occasion where Tiger played with an evangelical Christian. This guy paid, you know, they have in promotions in different cities, they have pay to play with players. And this guy paid to play specifically with Tiger Woods, and his whole reason for doing that was to find out about his spiritual life. Now, that's going the extra mile to talk to him about Jesus. And so they get on the course, and they're playing, and about the fifth hole, he just says to him, Tiger, won't you tell me about your family background? And they're going to have this conversation. And he said a little bit later, he said, well, tell me about your faith. What do you believe? And he said, well, my dad was a Christian, so obviously I'm a Christian. And my mom grew up in China. She was a Buddhist, so obviously I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Christian Buddhist. Now, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that's just absurd, right? But in the media, it was like, oh, isn't that great? He's like a perfect American. He has all of these beliefs, and he just melds them together. It may sound good, but it's not true. You then look at other places. I saw this week an article of Chicago Sun-Times, and it was asking the question, who is America's pastor? Anybody guess who they said was America's pastor? Oprah Winfrey. There we go. That's good, isn't it? said, Oprah Winfrey was America's pastor. And I was thinking, well... And so they start listing these things about her, and, and it says that, that people go to her when they need to feel better, because apparently that's what you've got to do to be a preacher these days. People go to her when they have questions about life, that she tells them spiritual answers. Uh, and I was just thinking about how ridiculous that is, until I started doing some investigating into some of the things she's done in the last couple of years. I, I'm not going to ask you if you're part of Oprah's book club, but Oprah has a book club. And she had a book recently that was on her book club in the last couple of years called the New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And she set up a web chat to talk about the book, and every week over 2 million people would get online and talk about Eckhart Tolle's The New Earth. Well, The New Earth is a new imagining of spiritual matters. And in the book, he talks about Jesus a lot. It's just not any Jesus that I've ever read about. He quotes Jesus a lot. He just likes to take them out of context and make them say things Jesus never intended. He talks in there that Jesus is a man like we are. He was a good man with good words, but we shouldn't put him on any kind of pedestal. Then I read a quote from a guy named Jamie Foxx, who's an actor, recording star. And he said this. He was on her show. And afterwards, he gave lots of praise to her. And afterwards, he said, wouldn't you really believe all this stuff about Oprah? He said, listen. He said, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be sitting around waiting because we're going to be waiting for God, and we will find out that God is Oprah. Now, isn't that just crazy? I mean, just, and the thing is, nobody went, oh, that's just a bunch of bunk. It was like, well, maybe he's right. 
Now, Oprah seems like a nice lady. She makes a lot of money, and she gives a lot of money away. But she's also teaching a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. Alan's heard that twice. He's amen that loud both times. In fact, one time I was watching, and it was a guy that has kind of fallen from his respectability with his Christian walk because of some moral things. But he was talking to him about, they were talking about things, and he was talking about a tough situation he was in in life. And he said, you know, it was at that time that I called on Jesus. And she said, well, that's great. Jesus, God, Allah, whoever it is, we all call on them during that time. He goes, no, Oprah, at that moment, I didn't want Allah and I didn't want Muhammad. I wanted Jesus. And I just wanted to say amen through the TV. I wanted to give an Alan Searcy amen on the TV there. But here's the point, that, that we, we've kind of mixed all this together. Well, you say, well, that's outside the church. The truth is, it's infiltrated the church. There has never been a time in the history of Christianity when the people who are attending church know as little about theology and the Bible as we do now. George Barna does these tests, and what he's found is the average person in the world knows as much about the Bible as we do. Sunday school people talking about Joan of Arc being Noah's wife. Now, if you think that's not a very good joke, you need to go look that up and find out. I mean, it's, it's crazy what we don't know. And then we just start teaching things. I could give you a long sermon on how to tell if somebody on TV is preaching something you ought to be listening to or not. But here's the simple test. If they make a whole lot of Jesus, they're good. If they make a whole lot of human potential, they're not. If they're telling you about you got to look to Jesus for your problems, you got to search Him, that Jesus died for you, that you need to be looking to Jesus. I'm not talking about, talking about Him all the time, but pointing to God. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Amen? But if you turn on and they're talking about the potential within humanity and that you've got to look within yourself and you've got to build yourself up and you've got to grab your life right now and it's got to be the best life you can have right now and it's full of potential, it's just a bunch of mush. And we got to watch it because in the church, that stuff's here too. Let me just advise you, those of you that are Sunday school teachers or teach a Bible study of any kind, be very careful what you say. Scripture makes it very clear that those that are teachers will be held in higher account. And so if you're one of our Bible studies leaders, make sure you're very careful about what you say. The problem today that we have is that we as Christians have forgotten how to be discerning, to divide the truth from that which is not. And so we swallow things whole and then spout it out in these proverbs that have no meaning when it comes to living a life for Christ. That's just the first one. We've got two more to go. We're going to move through those quickly. second one's calamity. Look at what he talks about there. He says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. Any of that going on? Heard any wars, rumors of wars, any of that? Such things must happen. There used to be a group of Christians, uh, believers out there and scholars that thought that we were just going to move steadily towards peace. And then when we had had a thousand years of peace, God was going to come back. And that's what it took to bring Jesus back. The problem with that is we haven't had but about 20 years at any moment in the history of the world when no war was going on at that exact moment. It's all over the place. He says that's going to happen. The problem is we're in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, people fight. Right? I was, I told you I was in West Tennessee. We were around with Eli and Luke and our, their triplet cousins. So we had five that are 
six and under, and four that are three. <laughs> now, you want to talk about a little fun there. That was, that's, that's called go in the back room, turn on the game, and shut the door and hope nobody comes and bothers you timely. But what was interesting is there was this little toy that we got from a drive-through of a particular fast food restaurant with a smiley face on the box. That toy probably cost negative four cents to make. You know, it's just cheap, plastic. And it came out like a sword, and Luke thought it was a lightsaber. Well, Cade, his three-year-old cousin, decided he wanted the lightsaber. And my precious, sweet, three-year-old son stood up for himself and defended himself like he should have. Right? And there was a scrap for that. So I went and separated them, gave the toy back to Luke, and told Kate not to mess with it anymore. No. I took the toy, and I put it up on a bookshelf. And Luke looked at me and said, Daddy, is that in timeout because we're fighting? I said, yeah, it's in timeout, like for the rest of the time we're here. My point is, they're three-year-olds, and they're fighting. I'm not suggesting that all our world leaders are like three-year-olds, but sometimes the shoe fits, all right? There's going to be conflict. He says not only that, not only are you going to have human stuff, there are going to be natural disasters, right? Not after not only nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He says there are going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. I'm glad we don't have any of those around, right? They're all over the place. You know what kills me sometimes as you're watching the news? And they'll say, I wonder where all these natural disasters are coming from. Like they're new. They've been here for thousands of years. Now, I know we haven't recorded them all. We haven't had super Doppler 3D radar to record them. But they've been here. He says, all of that's just the beginning of the birth pangs. This passage of Scripture is often used to preach about the coming of the end, and that is what Jesus gets into later. But this isn't about the coming of the end. This is just about life. This is just what's going on now. And then he says apostasy. Apostasy in the traditional sense means falling away. And what it means is that you fall away from your commitment to Christ. He says in verse 9 that you'll be handed over and persecuted, put to death, you'll be hated by nations. Well, that is fun stuff right there. And at the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, I don't think he means here that you're going to have people that are saved followers of Jesus Christ who then decide that they're no longer going to be saved followers of Jesus Christ and they can undo their salvation. That's not what's being talked about here. I think what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about this is people who were proclaiming to be followers of Christ, but when the pressure came, the difficulty came, they left. And in the West, we have it very easy. We don't have to worry about this. We don't have persecution happening around us. I mean, we think if they don't give us the same amount of time on TV as some other group, that that's persecution. That's not persecution. I mean, there are thousands of people today around the world right now meeting in underground caves and homes and places where they won't be found because if they're found talking about Jesus, they're dead. And so what he says is that there will come a time when persecution will happen and it will show who is the true believer. Jesus says, you want to know when all this is going to happen? First of all, it's going to get a lot worse. Here's the second thing he says, don't freak out. I know that doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, but that's exactly what he says. 
When he gets over there, over there back, when it's talking about the wars and the rumors of wars, verse 6, it says, you see to it that you are not alarmed. Now, I know we read that and go, oh, that's good. We're not going to be alarmed. What he basically says is don't freak out. Don't go nuts. Don't go wacko about this stuff. It's going to happen. Don't barricade yourself somewhere and don't get, get all bent out of shape thinking the end of the world is coming tomorrow because there's a war out there. It's all going to happen. Don't freak out. We're going to avoid two different scenarios. One is what I call the Pollyanna scenario. Those of you remember Pollyanna was, she was the one that saw the world with rose-colored glasses. Everything was always good. It was always right. We've got to avoid Pollyanna. But on the other end, we've got to avoid Chicken Little. You know Chicken Little, right? Skies falling, skies falling, right? So you can't be one, everything's perfectly okay, or the other, everything's terrible. You've got to find something in the middle. How do we do that where we are? Let me give you three things, and then we'll be done. Keep your head straight. What do I mean by that? Make sure you're looking at the right sources regarding the things of God. I tell you this, and you can take me to the bank on this. Everything I preach from this pulpit, you can test it against the Word of God. And if it's wrong against the Word of God, then you come tell me. That's biblical. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's what I'm supposed to allow you to do. Allow, you, you know, just... Test everything. Test what your Sunday school teacher thinks. Sunday school teachers, you've got to be willing to say, I'm allowed to ask questions about what I'm teaching. Keep your head straight. Keep your heart in the right place. It tells us here that they'll fall away. That means that their passions are in the wrong place. That The reason they're here is because of what they get out of being in church, because of what they get out of following Jesus. So they're not real followers because following Jesus is not about what we get. It's about being faithful to him keep your head straight keep your heart in the right place and the last thing is to keep your feet on the ground what it says up here at the end and it's where we are going to conclude are these verses it says many false prophets will appear to see many people because of this the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold verse 13 but he who stands firm to the end will be saved and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations and then the end will will come. He says, basically, if you stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Scripture teaches and what we know to be true, if we stand firm in that, then no matter what else is happening outside of us, we know that we are going to survive until the end. We've got to stand firm. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. We've got to trust the promise of God. What he says here at the end is that all this is going to happen. There will be wars, there going to be rumors of wars, there going to be earthquakes, going to be famines, and we can turn on the 6 o'clock news and see all that stuff. But he says that in the end, when you have stood firm, that I'm coming back. And when I come back, all that stuff's going to be wiped away. The picture in Revelation, I love it, is that the wipe the tear away from your eyes. And I love the picture that Jesus gives here is, in the end, the gospel is going to be preached. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. My gospel is getting to the ends of the earth. Now, you can join and be a part of that, or you don't have to. Jesus doesn't need you to take it to the ends of the earth, but he wants you to take it to the ends of the earth. And so it's going to get to the ends of the earth. And when it is time, whenever that appointed time is, and if anybody tells you they know the time, they don't. Whenever that time is, he is going to come back to rescue us. And that's why, no matter what junk goes on here, 
we can keep making it through. You know, you're hearing a lot of stuff uh, right now, and especially in religious circles, it seems, about the fact that, that America is just going down the tubes. And you know what my answer to that is? It may be. I don't have any knowledge whether it is or it is not. If you look at the history of civilizations, they don't last for millions of years, right? And here's what I also know. The Bible never promises that America will be like America is today when Jesus comes back. In fact, America is never mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's not. And so God doesn't need America to accomplish his purpose. The truth is that when we get to the end, whether America is here or not, God's kingdom will be forever. Now, I'm not saying that as a guy that doesn't love America. I love I love being a part of this country. But I think it should give us perspective when we talk about what's happening. Because one day, whether America is still standing or not, whether you and I are here or not, whether there have been earthquakes for 40 days or not, one day the eastern sky is going to split and there will be a white horse carrying my Savior with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's coming back to take me to be with him. And that's why there's no fear when all the junk is happening. And the 6 o'clock news will have no murders to report. They'll have no break-ins or domestic violence or any of that to announce. All that will be announced on the evening news is the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why this momentary stuff doesn't matter. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean it's not real. But it means that we must trust the promise if we're going to be fearless.